All right, guys, so we are so glad that you're here for Connect Weekend. Uh, I like this. You guys, we made you guys get up early on a Saturday. Is anybody angry about that? Anybody? No? No? Grant is. He was up here at, like, what, 8 o'clock this morning? What time did you get here this morning? Uh, okay. Yeah. So um, we're, it's really good to see you guys. I'm really excited. We get to hear uh, from the speaker twice today and also tomorrow. And, uh, and so um, I'll tell you a little bit. I met uh, our speaker, Casey. Uh, his last name is Schutza. All right. He said it's like Schutza arrow or Schutza gun. That's how you pronounce it. And uh, he's from uh, the North Texas area. He'll talk about his story, I think, in this, uh, this talk or the next talk. But um, met him last night for dinner, and we've talked several times on the phone and through email, texting before him coming this weekend. And what really stood out to me about just conversing with him and even talking last night is just the passion that he has for young people especially to understand the gospel, to know Jesus Christ and the gospel, uh, the message about Jesus. And, uh, and that just really comes through in everything that he does. He works with young adults up there in the North Texas area. You'll hear more about that, I'm sure. But um, I could tell that he, he asked me several times to describe you guys to him and just so he can get, get, get in the mindset of like, how can I speak in a way that they're going to understand and in the way that God um, will move in your hearts this weekend. So that is really our desire that whether you are already consider yourself a follower of Christ, that you would grow in your faith this weekend through the conversations, also through the message you hear from the stage. But also, if you're someone that would not consider yourself a follower of Christ, we're first of all just glad that you're in this building with us today. And I would say it's not by accident that you're here this weekend. And we would love for you to, first of all, yeah, come to know Christ, but also be able to plug into the church, um, whether it's this one or another church in town that teaches the Bible. We would love that if you would plug into the church and grow in your walk with Jesus from this point forward. So. Um, the speaker is uh, Casey Schutza, and he's going to come up on stage. Come on up, man. We appreciate you being here this weekend. We're excited. Here you go. All right. Well, how's everybody doing? Yeah? Wow, you're very close to me. What's your name? Nice to meet you, Lucy. I'm Casey. Uh, man, I do, I'm, I'm super excited to be here this weekend, and... Um, Man, I just, raise your hand if you're in high school. I want to see where the high school crew is. Okay, maybe junior high, middle school. Where they, okay, so it's kind of divided that way. All right, so I, a little bit of my background is, uh, man, I was a, I played football in North Texas. Uh, in, in, you know where UNT is in Denton. I played football up there when I was in college. And then when I got out, I was a high school teacher and football coach for about seven years. And then uh, in 2018, man, I just, I, I couldn't run anymore. I felt like the Lord was calling me into ministry. And uh, through my local church, the, uh, my pastors and our team have just been training me up to preach the gospel. And, um, and one day, hopefully in the next couple of years, to plant a church. And so right now, I'm our young adults pastor of people who are 18 to 29 years old, uh, probably in college and post-college, trying to figure out what to do with their life. And so um, I am, a little bit about me before we get going, of wondering, like, who is this guy? Where does he come from? Of, uh, I'm 33, coming up on 10 years of marriage to my high school sweetheart. I believe we have... A little picture of that. So these are my four kids. Um, we have four kids and two dogs. So my oldest is Chandler, the girl in the middle. She is seven and a half. She's far smarter than both of us combined. And, uh, 
And then we have a four-year-old boy, a three-year-old girl, and an almost two-year-old girl. So if you're having like a peaceful night, I'm probably not. So just think of me and pray for me in those moments. And so, um, man, I just want to thank Pastor David and TBC for giving me two nights of uninterrupted sleep this weekend. So that's going to be really good. So, man, I want to, uh, if you will, would you open up your Bible? If you have a Bible... Um, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2. That's kind of where we're going to sit down for tonight, or this morning. And then, um, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us before we, before we jump into this weekend. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this weekend. Uh, I thank you for just a time to get away from distractions, to get away from school, to get away from sports and uh, maybe even our families, and to, to just spend time sitting under your word and, and with your people. And so I pray, God, um, God, I remember the season of my life being 12, 13, 17, 18, wondering, why am I here? Why do I exist? What do you have for me, God? Um, and so, I, God, I, I'm thankful for this season of life, and I, I pray you'd speak to these, to these young adults, to these teenagers in this room, and I pray you'd do just a special work and open our eyes to see what you've made us for, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'd like to open up <clears throat> with this. Go ahead and, and um, I want you to sit in Acts chapter 2, but I want to open up with um, just some research on you guys' generation. So researchers who study societal trends from a couple different groups. One is Barna Research, and uh, another one is just the New York Times and MIT. People who study, basically they've given 10 years of their life to study teenagers and what teenagers in this generation, in your generation, are dealing with right now. <clears throat> Honestly, you could probably immediately guess without me even saying it. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Guess. What's the number one thing? What is it? Not drugs. Good guess. Was that a confession? All right. So I'm just kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. All right. If it's not a joke, we're here for you, right? There's grace for that. All right. But uh, it's not drugs. What's the second guess? No, see, okay, okay, okay. So, two things. This, your generation has been called the age of anxiety. And it's also been saying that teenagers are living through what, what researchers are calling the loneliness epidemic. Anxiety and loneliness. Anxiousness, aimlessness, not knowing why you exist, a sense of isolation a sense of belonging only to yourself, not knowing if there's anyone else who will receive you, love you, know you. Anybody feel that way right now? It's, it's probably pretty common in this room. I wonder if you're honest, if you feel that way right now. And I, I just want to say, if you do, you're not alone. Sometimes we lie to ourselves to, to think the things that we are dealing with, only we are dealing with these things. And one of, the, one of the biggest reasons why I would say that your generation is dealing with these things, the painful effects of addiction to social media and screen time. See, my generation, I'm 33. Now, you think that that's super old. It's really not. Like, it was a blink, and I was sitting right where you're sitting. Like, I saw some of you walk in, and you're like, who's the speaker? I'm, I'm also looking at myself thinking, yeah, I'm just as surprised as you are that it's me, right? I'm that, like, in that fast all of a sudden, it's, this teenage years is over. But one lie that my generation was told was this. I want you to see if you've heard these things before. 
that when we would move into the digital age, the digital age is where everyone has in the internet, where everyone has a smartphone, you have the accessibility of the world in your hands. If you want to know who the, the fourth king of the, the Ming dynasty was in whatever century, you can know it right now. Don't Google it right now, okay? I want your attention, right? But you can know it right now. No other generation has had the, the ability to know whatever fact, whatever football team, whatever sports team right now in one moment, right? And you hold that in your hand. My generation was told that the digital age would make us, listen to this, hyper-connected, that our world would learn to understand one another better, that when the digital age increased, so would world peace. That one's funny, right? That it would educate us better, that it would increase our knowledge, that our wealth would increase, and overall, it would give us a sense of deep community and belonging. Now, I think most research now proves the exact opposite, that because of social media, though it being so fun, I love social media, right? Um, it can be informative and helpful. Like twice a week, I'm like, what are we going to eat for dinner? And my wife's like, I don't know, gets on TikTok, looks up some, some meals, like, look how this girl's cooking this, this awesome dish. And all of a sudden, she's like, matter of fact, you run to the store and go get these seven things. I'm like, oh my gosh. So like, t- it can be helpful. And all of a sudden, like, there's fun things about social media. But here's the catch. If we go to those places for our sense of identity, community, and belonging, it will consume your time, it will kill your purpose, and actually it will form you or shape you into a type of person that's shallow, insecure, anxious, and isolated from real human beings, from real community, from real flesh and blood people that could love you, speak into you, and encourage you and help you. See, we've bought the lie that if we just engage in social, me- social media and actually present a better version of ourselves, we can be truly known, truly accepted, and truly loved. But we know that's not true, right? Because then we just feel the anxiety of, I've got to present a better version of myself than is in reality. Have you ever felt that? The Gospel Coalition recently has ran a study on teenage girls between the ages of 13 to 18. Right? Raise your hand if that's who you are. Teenage girl, 13 to 18. I want you afterwards, not now, but to look up this study. I can even come up to me and I'll send it to you. Okay? But the study found this, that there was a direct correlation for teenage girls as their social media, uh, the amount of time on social media increased, so did their insecurity, anxiety, and the, the desire to compare themselves to other people. You ever felt that way? These things, we've, been, we've bought the lie, but actually they have some serious harmful effects to us. Now, friends, every person in this room, what you're looking for in that is this, a desire, there's an ache in your heart, right? There's an ache in your heart to belong, to be known, to be truly loved, to be forgiven, to be accepted and valued for who you are. Every person on the face of the planet has, the, has that ache in your heart, And friends, I want to argue for the next 25 minutes and try to convince you of a couple things. That the reason you have that ache in your heart, that desire to be known, that that desire is only fulfilled and finalized and realized in Jesus and in his people. In Jesus and in his people called the church. And if you would, would you now go to Acts chapter 2. 
I think we'll have it on the screens. But our point number one is that Jesus heals the deepest ache of our heart. Jesus heals our deepest ache. And I'm going to read verses 37 to 41, if you're with me. You guys there? Still got it? Or you see it on the screen? So stay with me. Here it is. The verse says this, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the rest of the, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says to this crowd, Repent and, believe, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. For you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, look at this, is for you and your children and all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort or to to help them say, save yourself from this crooked generation. And those who received his word were baptized and there were added about 3,000 souls that day. Now, here's what happened. I want you to look at verse 37. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is this. 37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were heard what? What are we even talking about? So here's the context of what has just happened. Many, you've probably heard this passage many times, right? Raise your hand if you've heard this passage preached in here even before, right? Or read this passage. What's happening is this is the birth of the church has just happened. In the previous chapters, what's already happened is Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. And 50 days later after that, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church. The church has been empowered and the people are freaking out. They're like, what is going on? This church, and so Peter stands up and says to all these Jewish people who have pulled in from every nation, There's people from every, the Bible says that there were from every nation under the sun at that time, speaking different languages, having a different racial and ethnic background. And right here they're going, what is this? And Peter stands up and says, this is the fulfillment of what all the Bible is talking about, that God had promised a savior, that he had promised that he would send someone to reconcile and save humanity, that that he would be the true son of God and the true savior that all of us need. And he stands up in front of a crowd and he tells them, essentially, this person of the Old Testament that we were looking for is Jesus Christ. Savior of the world, the long-promised Son of God who was put to death. And then he tells them this. Now, mind you, many of the people in the crowd, this is not long after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Most of these people have either heard about this Jesus, some of them saw him crucified publicly, some of them have heard the story, and then the Bible even says there were 500 witnesses that saw Jesus alive. Think about that. 500 people. Now, <clears throat> many, many uh, people who reject Christianity today would say, well, see what that is? is it's just 500 people who are hallucinating. Okay. You may have been to a crazy party where like tons of people were doped out and hallucinating, but 500 people all saying and and saying, no, we saw him alive. Like that doesn't happen. It's 500 people in the first century who were willing to put their name on the line. If the Roman government was to come to them and say, do you believe in Jesus? And they said, I do. The Roman government could kill them on the spot because Jesus was a threat to their government. So it's 500 people willing to put their name on the line and say that they had seen Jesus. This whole city in the early church was what the Bible would say. They turned the world upside down. People were freaking out. The world was losing their mind. This city was in an upheaval. 
<clears throat> and Jesus stand, I'm sorry, and Peter stands up and tells this city, you know who killed Jesus? You did. Your sin put him on the cross. You missed the Savior. He walked right among you. You rejected your Savior. It was your sin, not just, uh, not just Pontius Pilate, not just Herod, but it was our sin that put him on the cross. <clears throat> and in that context, then their hearts are cut, and they realize Jesus didn't just die by the hands of lawless man, men. Jesus died because of me and you, that it was our sin that put him there on the cross. And they realize that it's not just them who are guilty, but it's, it's, it's they themselves who are guilty, who killed God's son. <clears throat> and therefore, they're cut to the heart, and they say, what shall we do? So what that means essentially is this. They're saying, okay, we're guilty. Like, Jesus died not just for them, but actually for, because of me. Not just in our place, but because of us, that it was our sin, your sin, the things you've done in the dark the things no one knows about, the things that you think, if I were to tell someone I did this, I would have no friends, they would judge me. I would have to, like, imagine if all the sins that you've ever committed were put up on this screen right now. Maybe if there was a recording of things that you've done when no one was looking, you would sprint out of this room in shame, screaming that everyone in this room has just read and seen the worst things that you've done. And the point of the gospel is this, that Jesus says, I know those things, and I love you in spite of knowing those things. I know those things, and you are guilty, and here's your opportunity. Repent and believe that I am, was given for you. Yes, he died in your place, but he died instead of us, gladly. Jesus laid down his life, and what Peter calls this early church to do is this. Repent, meaning turn from your sin, put your faith in Jesus, say, I will no longer rule and run my own life. I lay down the lordship of my life, and I say, Jesus, you're the boss. Like, I follow Jesus, and he says, for those who will do that, there's two blessings. They receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, imagine this. Imagine that um, I, I stood up on this stage Right? And I had just come from the parking lot, and someone had just, this is going to be violent, all right, so stay with me. Um, imagine someone had just shot me right in the gut, right? And there's a giant gunshot wound in my stomach, and I'm bleeding out. I have a huge hole, and I'm here, like, trying to talk to you guys. And you're like, dude, you're nuts. Like, what, do you know you have a gunshot wound? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, like, I'll be fine. Like, it's just, I mean, it's just like a huge hole, right? I'll be fine. It'll heal up eventually. And you're like, no, 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 you psycho. You need to go to the hospital and get personal care. And you're like, no, it'll heal up eventually, right? You would say, no, dude, you're crazy. Like, and probably some of you would like pick me up and take me to the hospital. If you loved me, I would hope you would do that, right? My wife would hope that too, because she has four babies at home by herself. And she's like, please don't let my husband, okay, all right, that's not the point. Point being is I think some of us, <clears throat> when we hear this idea of repentance and we hear, yes, we are a sinner, Yes, we are guilty. We say, yeah, but it's like, it's like the gunshot wound. It's just, it's there. But like, I don't, need, I don't need healing. It's just something that's part of me. You know, like I'm not, yeah, there's a gunshot wound, but like I'm, I'm fine. And we don't realize we're bleeding out and dying and we need healing. And, when, and, and what repentance means is saying, no, no, don't just say you're a sinner. Acknowledge, no, Jesus, I need mercy. Like I need healing. Like, I have a giant wound that I can't heal, and I'm going to die apart from you. 
That's what is, repentance is. It's saying, I turn from my, my own rule over my life, and I'm saying, I need you. In short, maybe you're 11 years old, and you're like, I don't get it. Here's what it means in short. It means apologize to God from your sin, for your sin, and say, all, all I want is you. I, Jesus, I, I put my faith, and I believe in you. I lay down all my life upon you. And for those of you who will, for those of you who have, and for maybe for the first time this weekend, those of you who do, what the Bible uh, tells us is that that ache of our heart is healed in Jesus. Why? Because, friends, look at me. The deepest ache of your heart right now is not to belong to a sports team. It's not to get married. The deepest ache of your heart is not that a dude would validate you or that a girl would finally say you're awesome, although you kind of are, right? But the, the deepest ache of your heart is not for a validation of another person. It's not that a college would come after you and give you a scholarship. It's not even that your parents would totally understand you. The deepest ache of your heart is that you would know God, that you would know your creator, that you would be reconciled and brought back to God. That is the point of the gospel, is that God has created us for himself, to know him and enjoy him and to love belonging to him that for all of eternity we would grow in love and knowledge and obedience and worship of the goodness of our God. We're made for God to know him. But humanity has rebelled and sinned against him, choosing our own way. I've done it and you've done it. But God, the point of the gospel is God does not leave us in that place. No, he sends Jesus to live the life we couldn't live and take the punishment for the sins that we deserve. Jesus gladly laid down his life for us. I want you to look back in verse 39 real quick. Verse 39, it says this. And for those who receive Jesus, look what the, he gives them. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. What does that mean? <clears throat> that language of being called to himself is this. That's the language of adoption. That's God looking at you and saying, hey, you once were a rebel who hated me, but now by my own love, I've, I've drawn you to myself. You're now my child. I now dote over you with my love. I've made you mine. Don't you want to be doted over? Like, like, when, like when me and my wife go on a date and she's like, hey, your outfit looks good. I'm like, <laughs> like there's still, there's still like something, right? There's still, and, and I'm like 33, but like still when you get complimented, right? There's something in you that's like, I love getting loved, don't tell me I'm the only one. And dudes in here are like, I never felt that. Whatever, bro. Like, come on. Like, you know it feels good to get loved, right? <clears throat> I think the reason we want that is because the deepest longing of our heart is not to be loved by someone, though that feels really good. The deepest longing of our heart is to know the love of God, that our hearts are made for the love of God. I've heard this, <clears throat> put it this way before. Have you ever heard this? Insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. Let me, see, let me read it one more time. Insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. <clears throat> Meaning this. Let's say you're on a date with somebody. I know nobody dates in here, but let's say you're on a date with, you just like look at apps and like DM, but like once you grow up, you'll go on a real date with somebody. And, and girls, if he won't take you on a date, don't go with him. Don't just let him uh, take the easy way out of saying, hey, I like you. Say, no, 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 if you like me, take me out for coffee and let's, let's talk, right? 
Don't take the easy way. Quit letting lame boys in your life send you DMs like that and saying, oh, like, don't talk to lame dudes like that. That has nothing to do with the sermon I'm preaching right now. I just want you to know that. And if you're that lame dude, ask Jesus for forgiveness. Go up to that girl's face and say, no, I want to take you on a date. Okay, let's get off of that. All right, bring it back. Bring it back. That was for free. That was for free. That's nowhere in my notes. I don't even know why I said that, okay? I hope you boys feel challenged by that. Now, listen. What I mean is insecurity is the enemy of intimacy. Listen, let's say you're on a date with somebody, and the whole time you're thinking, I don't know if they like me. I don't even know if they want to sit with me. I don't know if they really are enjoying being in my presence. If that message is going on in your head the whole time, you cannot be close with a person that you don't know if you can be safe with. You with me? Maybe some of you have that relationship in your life right now. Maybe it's a parent or a friend or or someone in your own home where you're like, I want to be close with you, but I don't feel safe with you. Have you ever felt that way? It's because when we feel insecure or unsafe with someone, we will never be close with them. And what the gospel heals in us is saying, God is saying, no, you once were an enemy, but no longer do you have to be. You can be close with God. You don't have to be a rebel. You don't have to live in punishment. You don't have to live in God's judgment. Jesus died that he might take that judgment, that you might know the love and being drawn to the love of the Father as, the, as God calls you to himself. God wants to dote and pour out his love <clears throat> on us. And I think some of us are half-hearted in our Christianity. We're half-hearted. We say, I believe enough about Jesus to call myself a Christian, but I'm not really happy in God. Ray Ortland puts it this way. I believe we have this quote, right? Half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Jesus to be happy. You ever been there? Where you say, yeah, I, I know my guilt, and you just live right there but you haven't walked deep enough to, with Jesus to know that, no, the point of the gospel is that he takes our guilt and he pours out his joy on our heart because his joy, his joy is the longing and the fulfillment of your heart. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There were three of you that knew that, all right? Let's read, all right. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It, we don't want to live in guilt. We want to live in the Lord's joy. His joy strengthens us. His joy strengthens our paths. Jesus does not want us to be half-hearted believers, constantly living in our guilt. He came to deal with our guilt and give us a relief of that guilt and happiness in God. St. Augustine once famously said this, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. I wonder if you find yourself there this morning, just restless, or this afternoon, just restless, wondering like, where Where am I going to find that sort of happiness, that sort of joy, and that sort of rest? And I want to argue that rest is only found in knowing Jesus. But that leads me to point number two. What happens in this early church, 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. And you know what they don't do? They don't go off back to their own individual little lives. They, They belong to one another. All of a sudden, Jesus has created something beautiful. Point number two. Jesus creates our place to belong. Once you look back in the text, if you see it on the screen or you have your Bible in your hand, look at verse 42 to 47. You still got it? Or y'all see it? 
42. And they, these brand new believers, that, so they became believers, and then what do they do? And they, meaning they stayed together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the explanation of the Bible, right? And the fellowship and the breaking of the bread. They ate dinner together. They prayed together. Look at verse 43. And awe or wonder came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs and miraculous things were being done through the apostles. Verse 44. Look at this in an age like ours of division and hatred. Verse 44. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and their belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. And day by day, they attended the temple, meaning they came to church together, right? They broke bread in their homes. They ate their foods with glad and generous hearts. And they praised God, having favor with all the people. That's the people outside of the church. So even unbelievers were like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's something cool going. There's something special and beautiful happening in this weird group of followers of who? Jesus? Who? Right? That Jesus was, was this, this, this new idea to many non-believing people. Like, who is this? What's unifying people? What's making people of every nation come together? What's making y'all, like, like each other? What's making y'all folks eat together and, like, want to hang out two or three days a week and not get annoyed of one another? What's making y'all be so forgiving? What's making y'all give y'all's money to folks who are poor? Like, why are y'all caring for poor people? Why are y'all caring for the marginalized and people? Why are y'all doing, why are y'all living such crazy lives? Well, what is it? It's that Jesus was building something beautiful. Jesus was creating a place where they could belong. Not just a message to believe, but a people to belong to people to belong to. They became a community and belonged to one another. See this, the church did not create the gospel. No, the gospel creates the church. You with me? Don't miss that. Sometimes we mess that up. People even reject Christianity and say, no, 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 see the early church just created the message. They added in the idea that Jesus was God. That's all. No, no, no. Look what happens. The gospel creates the church. The message of the gospel builds this sort of diversity, this sort of love, this sort of uniqueness. That word right there, look back in verse 42. See that word teaching and the fellowship? That, that word fellowship, we've, we, that's, a, that's a word we don't use much anymore, but the idea of fellowship is this. The Greek word is koinonia, and it means, it's a root word meaning belonging together into something. So they weren't saved to an individual me and Jesus type of life, right? I, I walked like that when I first became a believer when I was about 11, right? I just thought, okay, this is just me and Jesus. Like, I ain't tripping. I got this new, like, faith, like, but I'm not going to tell my family. I'm not really going to go to church that often. But all of a sudden, I had friends that were farther along with Jesus, and they were like, no, come with us. There's more. There's more here. You don't have to just walk with Jesus by yourself. That's good. That's a great place to start. But, like, walk with us, Come help us, and we can help you. And all of a sudden, it was like being a part of a team, right? There's something, being a part of a team that's so beautiful. What is the, what is the largest um, religion in America today? What do you say? No, it's the NFL, the National Football League, right? Some of you got the joke. 11-year-olds are like, I didn't know that was a religion. You'll get it. We'll get there. The National Football League, here's what I mean. One of the largest communities in the United States is the National Football League. Raise your hand if you're a Cowboy fan in here. I am too, and hey, we're wounded together, 
right? I hurt with you. It's fine. I heard the junior high pastor, you're an Eagles fan. You can go ahead and go home, okay? <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go sit out there, okay? So, yeah, go, go 49ers. All right. I'm just kidding. Love you, dude. All right, so, but listen to this. Here's what NFL teams will do. Last year, me and my dad, uh, my dad's a Cowboys fan too. Like, he discipled me at a young age to be a Cowboys fan, right? And so, uh, my dad was like, hey, you want to go to the, the opening, uh, one of the first home games? I was like, yeah, 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 let's go. Well, I hadn't been to a game since I was like 13, right? It's just been a long time. I got married. I had four kids. I had a full job. I haven't had the privilege to go to a Cowboy game, right? So, all of a sudden, we, me and my dad go to the Cowboy game. And when I pulled up, just some things stood out to me at 30 that haven't, that I didn't remember at 13, like, you know, like 400 pound men with painted blue bodies. I was like, that's a trip. I forgot that happens still, you know, but there's like, there's this whole thing of like this whole section of like hundreds of grown adults in their forties, their full bodies painted, right? They've got there three hours before the game. They're drinking, they're eating together, they're playing cornhole. And I'm like, wait, that still happens? Like, they're like, yeah, they have season tickets and they're here every single week. And they go home and their families are with one another. And they, they rally around a common cause of the most mediocre football team in the Dallas Cowboys, right? They're, like their whole, and I say that as a Cowboys fan, right? Um, I, I've 200 people in the last couple of years have told me I look like Dak Prescott. So maybe I just, okay, <clears throat> moving on. See, he said it too, yeah. If I had a hat on, you didn't see how bald I was, it'd be better. <clears throat> moving on. What's the point? The point that I'm making is this. There's an ache in the human heart not just to, to know something, but to be, a, be in something. And, and it's never more expressed than watching grown men belong and participate to, to a football team like that. If you can give that much zeal, that much worship, that much of your time and your money and your energy and your community, man, we're made for so much more than that. Because all of that is shallow. And I wish we would learn that it just disappoints us every single year, right? It's one thing to enjoy football. It's another thing to let your whole life be centered around that sort of identity. <clears throat> but Jesus has more for us. That we would belong to something that doesn't exist just in this generation, but exists throughout all generations. This multicultural family called the church. Jesus is building his church. <clears throat> Maybe in America we struggle to see that idea, but the gospel is spreading all over the world right now. Most people who study trends say that the center of Christianity is going to be South American uh, within the next 15 years. That already it's going to be the, the most common uh, person in the world who would call themselves a Christian is a, a, a woman in her mid-30s who is from South America. They're saying that's like the center of Christianity right now. Christianity is exploding in China right now in the midst of persecution and that sort of governmental hatred against our faith. Christianity is exploding despite what our culture might tell you that it is. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's building his church and some of you are going to be grafted into his church this weekend. Some of you, he is going to open your eyes this weekend to say, you are made for Jesus. You're not made for yourself. You're made for him and his glory and his people are to be your people. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. I believe we also have that. Here's what Jesus did. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, 
we, that's people who are Gentiles and Jews, we both have access in one Holy Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers belonging out as outsiders and aliens, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the what? The cornerstone, meaning the whole faith is built on one person. Christianity is not a system. It's not a building. It's not a construct of ideas. Christianity is a relationship built upon Jesus. It's built on a person. A child, a child can't really learn a worldview and a philosophy, but a child can embrace a person. You with me? My five-year-old can come and embrace a person. He may not understand Western ideology, but he can say, if I say Jesus, a person loves you and gave his life for you, he has a concept of embracing a person in his mind. And he has made us to be his people. Jesus heals our ache in two ways. You have an ache to belong, and I have an ache to belong, and he heals it in two ways. One, he heals it vertically towards God, that through Jesus we can actually vertically know God, and also horizontally to one another. Jesus wants us to love one another in this world. That's actually what he says the church is supposed to be, that the world would look at the church and say, whoa, 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 whoa. That people, they love each other. They love each other. Do people say that about you? If, you're, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus in this room, when you go into your school or your family or your neighborhood, do people say, look, I, I don't know if I, if I understand everything they believe about Jesus, but they are so loving. Like they just love people. They welcome people. They always are looking around saying, hey, who's eating by themselves? What girl's sitting by themselves? What boy feels so insecure and doesn't know who he is? And you're just, your eye is always going towards who is on the margins. Who needs love? Does your eye move that way? Does your heart move that way? Many of you, it do, many of you, there's people in this room because someone in this room brought you. And I would say that friend loves you deeply. That friend loves you and saw you and made a point to make you their friend. And that would be the spirit of God in that person, working to draw you to Jesus. I want to say a couple things as we close. <clears throat> At the beginning of this, I said your, your generation deals with two things. What were they? Age of anxiety and epidemic of loneliness. It's been called the age of anxiety and an epidemic of loneliness. That's far from everything that's actually going on. Look at me. <clears throat> that's far from everything. It's also our culture. Our, America is a great, great country. But there are some ideals that are not biblical. And one of those things that America is committed to is radical individualism, meaning this, you do you. You with me? You ever seen the movie Frozen? Right? Now, I ain't hating on Frozen. Like, hold on. Stay with me. I got three little girls, right? If I'm going nuts, I don't Baby, put on Frozen. I need like 30 minutes to breathe. Like, I don't care. My girls love Frozen. But there's a song in there. And, and number one, Frozen 1, not Frozen, Frozen 2 is actually a little bit better, I think. But I just offended half the room. Okay, Frozen 1. In Frozen 1, there's a song. What's the main song? Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let me, let me see if I can, do y'all know what part I'm about to talk about? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. 
Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Stop, stop, stop. We've given Disney enough of our time, okay? Now, pause. Listen, I want you to start watching movies. Look at me. I'm, I'm about to ruin some of y'all's, like, ability to watch a movie, like, with, for fun. But I want you to watch certain movies, and I want you to look for radical individualism. I want you to look for how they're shoving that in your face, where you say, no right, no rules for me. I'm free. You with me? That's, that, is, that is the language of our culture saying, you do you. You don't have to listen to nobody else. Follow your own heart. Who cares who you hurt? There's no right, no wrong. There's no good. There's no evil. Everything, there's no such thing as morality. Follow your true self. You're free. And friends, I want to say, if, if, that, if you've believed that lie, <clears throat> that is why our culture is experiencing anxiety, because we're creating ourselves instead of receiving what Jesus has for us, we're having to create. I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit tonight. <clears throat> we're having to create ourselves. That's why there's so much division and hostility, because there's no sense of unity. Everybody is doing whatever they want to do. Everybody's saying, don't tell me what to do. I live my own life, and nobody can challenge me. I'm free. Well, when we do that, it spreads hostility and hatred and that's what's going on in our culture today. And I think the Bible has something far better for us. Far better for us. And let me close with this. This does not have to be the case. Look up. I want you to receive this. May it not be true of this group. May that not be true. For those of you who are solely committed to this youth group, right? Solely committed to this church, or maybe even as you move on from here. Make it your aim to say, no, no, no. I want to present something more beautiful to the world. That we would say, no, I, my life is not my own. I belong to God, and I belong to his people. I'm made to know Jesus. What if that wasn't the case, that you as a church community could heal, start healing the world, not worrying about everywhere else in the world, but starting where? Right here, in your school, in your family that you would bring the love of Jesus to bear on your family right where you are. You can do that. You don't have to know everything about the Bible. You don't have to have perfect theology. You know what you have to have? A heart that says, I love you, Jesus, and I just want to obey you one step at a time. One step at a time. Whatever the next step is, show me that. I want to close with this quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, without Christ, look up, without Christ, we could not know God. We could not call upon him nor come to him. The way is blocked by our own ego. But Christ opened up the way to God and to our brother. Now Christians can live with one another in peace. They can love and serve one another, and they can become, say it with me, one. We can be unified and become one. So I want you to, I want you to get quiet. I want you to get quiet. And just take a moment, maybe bow your heads. I'm going to close and pray, but before we do that, <clears throat> I want to give you a couple things to think about, just a couple ways you can respond right now. You guys bow your heads. I want to ask you two questions. Number one, where are you tempted this morning to satisfy that ache in your heart with something other than Jesus? Be honest. I want you to even say that to the Lord. Just tell him, I'm tempted 
even quietly in your heart. I believe right now that this is where I find happiness. This thing, this person, this account, this future, what my parents think of me. This is where I find happiness, and I want to find it in you. Maybe even ask the Lord, Lord, turn my heart, change my heart. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. I want to give you a moment to just do that privately to the Lord. Say, Jesus, the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So maybe that's where you are right now, and you're saying, I'm, I'm ready to trust in Jesus. You can just echo this prayer in your heart and tell your leaders afterwards, but say something like this. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I put my faith in you. I turn from self-rule. With all that I am, I lay myself before you. I make you my Lord. Save me. Be with me. Make me into what you've saved me to be. I put my faith in you. If you, pray, if you prayed that prayer, put your faith in Jesus with a genuine heart. The Bible would say that you're saved, that you've been reconciled to God. And for those of you who already are followers of Jesus, I want you to think of this. What would it look like for you to walk deeper with the community of your church at Temple Bible Church? Or maybe you're here from a different church this weekend. What would it look for you to actually serve your church in a deeper way, to give yourself more deeply to what Jesus is doing in the world? Maybe take a moment and just ask the Lord, what would that look like? What do you have for me, Lord? What do you want me to give my life to? Father, thank you for this time. I pray you'd speak to us. I pray you'd direct the hearts of these young folks in this room towards you and towards what you have for them in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Casey. Thank you for speaking to us. Uh,